0: Let's go back to a Go Light original.
1: I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. What
2: is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go?
1: Wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. It's a fool's paradise. He is just leading you down the primrose path. Matthew Broderick. Bueller.
0: Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's day off because life
2: is too beautiful a thing to waste.
1: are welcome along to Let's Go Back to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We are rewinding all the way back to 1986, to a time when parents were ridiculously gullible and school principals were extremely creepy. The movie was selected by this week's guest, Charlotte Regan, host of the Irishman Abroad podcast, and of course, of his brand new stand-up special, Notions 11. Charlotte, congratulations, first of all, on the stand-up special and a very warm welcome.
0: Thanks very much. Great to be here. Yeah, really happy to have the stand-up special out there. Uh, especially as we filmed it just before everything locked down. So people now watch it, not just to, you know, see the stand-up, but they're like, geez, remember that? That was our last <laughs> night.
2: Nostalgia. <I remember, laughs>
0: yeah. Remember gigs. And uh, like, I, I, it's weird the way some of the stuff has aged and uh, some of it is still relevant. Like the whole Meghan and Harry thing I didn't was the opening joke of the whole thing because that was this period that they decided to step away from the royal family. Still relevant, still going on,
1: still the same problems. Uh, but yeah, I'm really happy, um, to be honest with you. Really happy it's out there now. Brilliant. It's getting some reaction as well. Congratulations on it all. Thanks. Um, Sue Murphy, g- good morning. Hello, good afternoon, whatever time it is. How are you getting on?
2: Good. How are you?
1: Very well. <laughs> Surviving. I am buzzing. I'm absolutely buzzing because this is only one of our first couple of episodes doing this. And I was like, let's just wait a couple of years until somebody suggests Claris Bueller's Day Off, possibly the most rewatchable movie of all time. And Charlotte's only gone and done it in week two. Uh, Tell us about this, Charlotte, your love for this movie, the first time you watched it uh, and your personal connection to this.
0: It's an all time classic. Like there is no question. First Bueller's Day Off is up there as one of the greatest movies ever made. And the way I came across it, and the first, I vividly remember the first time watching it, because uh, growing up in Kildare, on the windswept Curra, we didn't even have a remote control. We were literally sliding across on an old Mitsubishi TV. I don't know if people remember these ones where they didn't even have buttons. They were just little metal things that... Conducted the static electricity from your finger into the TV and we stumbled upon this setting uh, and it was, you know, it was 15 minutes into the movie. And I can remember us, my sisters and I just being glued to it immediately, just the scenario. Uh, It's a testament to how great the movie is that we didn't even need you know, life moves fast. We didn't need any of that. We just knew we're in this kid is trying to evade this principle. The sister hates him. And I, I, I like, I remember loving it instantly And the pieces to camera. I'd never seen uh, uh, the main protagonist speak to us as narrator. And I, I, I just it just kept going up like that's the thing with the the movie that like you think it can't get better and then it goes up another level and there's another show stopping scene so it was easily at that moment in time I remember turning it off at the end and going best movie I've ever seen in my life I was probably <laughs> seven <laughs> but Sweet it thing. just <laughs> went in and you know the way when you watch the the first record you buy the first great football match you see you know the these ones are written into the vinyl they they they're on the hard drive and everything else gets compared to them uh i i get that there's a certain amount of nostalgia to it that that it mightn't be uh the shawshank redemption it 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 it's not going to win any oscars but in terms of the impact it made on me as a child i'd never seen someone be this cheeky, <laughs> I was blown away at the confidence of this young man, <laughs> and all of that went in and made it
1: just such a pivotal moment in my childhood. Sue, you have a complicated relationship with this movie. I'm, I'm with w- w- This, I like. I, I came to this much later than a seven-year-old, but I like. I think that that's it. It's it's this unbelievably magnetic figurehead that leads the movie and just draws you in on such a simple level did did you at least feel that too
2: yeah I mean that's hard to say that like that doesn't exist I I like do you know what the more I think about it (laughs) I was thinking about Matthew I was watching him in an interview before I came on here and I just don't like Ferris and I think the reason I don't like Ferris is I am the Jennifer Grey character who is the (laughs) sister who doesn't get away with stuff and is watching her brother going heck the hell is this guy getting away with this stuff yet again? Like, and it's just like I felt I was represented by her in the film. Like, you know, that great scene where she's in the hall and she's like, Screw him. <laughs> <I was like, laughs> yes, I've been there, I felt all of that emotion. But like, I think it's because he is the, the cheeky chappy he's getting away with so much, but it definitely feels like it's a guy's film as opposed to so. a feeling, yeah. Like, I I was thinking about it yesterday, and I, I was like, oh, I think Clueless was the one. That we kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is kind of like a girl's like teenage film. But I just never felt like I was really represented by Ferris. I, I, you know what I mean? It's a teen film, but it's definitely, for me, the character, Jennifer Grey, getting really annoyed because he's just getting away with everything. I just think he annoys me a little bit. But yeah. in saying that, you have to kind of admire him at the same time. Because he just he just feels like he's like a 40-year-old man going around in a 16-year-old body, you know?
0: <laughs> well, what age were you when you saw it, uh, Sue? Like, what age oh, were you? Had you seen Clueless before it?
2: I, th- I think I had seen Clueless. Like, I didn't get to first. Mm-hmm. I remember actually going through a John Hughes phase because I was like, oh, I'd ha- I haven't really... I think I'd seen The Breakfast Club first. And then I went through all of them. I was like, oh, right. I need to go back and watch all of these. Because... There is that thing where he is speaking to teenagers as opposed to, you know, anything that came before, which was really just adult or kids. There was very few, like, real teenage films until he came along. He's really, he is the person who nearly invented that genre. But, yeah, I think I got to First Bueller Late. And I definitely feel like that was like clueless was the one that kind of felt like, "Oh, I have that skirt, and yeah, I do that thing, and we've had that conversation whereas mm. Ferris was like, "Oh, I' got to do this village
0: I think that's big, I think that's big, Owen, because I think mm. uh if if the first teenage movie you saw is Ferris Bueller, and also if you're living in the eighties, <laughs> this movie <laughs> impacted on you in a bigger way, uh because it just seems so. Relevant and also all of the, the fantastical lived, like his bedroom, uh, all of the just the options and freedoms <laughs> that they were enjoying were so a million miles away from the Ireland I was growing up in at the time. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody bought their clothes in Dunn's stores. <laughs> and oh, there was everyone had the same jumper. Like, it nearly sounds like, you know, the Eastern Bloc. But, like, it w- was just this technicolour dream that, like, kids driving cars. Like, all of this stuff, So blew the doors off the idea of possibility for me. It was a real fantasy movie in that way he's got a suit he's got a, he's got he's got so many options and sh- like a computer in his bedroom the ability to work technology to fool his parents it all uh, it was all just this kind of caper that you dreamed of having when life let's face it in ireland at that time was pretty great yeah yeah like you you asked me uh, before this like what What was one of the things that struck you about the movie immediately? And for me, as bad as this sounds, the weather.
1: weather. (laughs) I'm with you. Completely with you. (laughs) Owen is on board. (laughs) Take it, Owen. But I was just going to make that point to actually add on to exactly what you're saying. Within the first couple of minutes of the movie, when that Sigway Sigway Sputnik song comes on and it's just a montage of blue skies and a few clouds here and there that's the moment I remember watching this the first time being like, holy shit, I love this. I don't know, I don't, I don't know much about this movie. I absolutely love this. I, 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 and it's just, I, I don't know, is it the music? Is it the blue skies? I was like, this has swept me away straight away. And you've brought something up there that's really interesting, which I hadn't considered before this very second, the idea of possibilities. So I'm coming at this from a different angle. I'm coming at this growing up in the Nickelodeon age where I'm looking at the the vista of possibilities coming from the United States through Drake and Josh, through Zoe 101 and their fantastical Pacific Coast Academy campus with their uh, Mac laptops and incredible boarding school. I'm like, America is this incredible place. But it was all very bubblegum. Whereas Mm. all of a sudden you've got this seemingly authentic very suave dude who is taking you through this place, which is from the 1980s. And you're like, this feels real. And this feels important. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I know you grew up in, you grew up in Kerry, right, Owen? Correct. So you're, you're whereabouts are you? I, I, I don't, but
2: I grew up in Clare in the back arse of nowhere, where, well, like, well, you'll, cars you'll were even <laughs> nicer. Yeah. Well, then
0: you'll understand, <laughs> definitely you'll, you must understand the idea that, like, I remember you just, just the, the limitation of what was available to you and what adventures you could even go on, like what was, what, yeah. what was regarded as an adventure and how much it did hinge upon the weather. Like we used to reminisce about hot days. Like just remember <laughs> that we went to Glendalough that day. and Oh, you could play football. It was nearly 24 <laughs> degrees. Have you been listening to this going 24 degrees? That's a hot day. That is a hot day in Ireland. And when you see this and it 's just this kind of it was the same kind of feeling of uh, oh there 's this other planet where you don 't come home from school and immediately bury yourself in your homework, then stop for home and away, eat your dinner, back to homework, sleep, do it all again tomorrow i mean that was the routine of the Irish school kid, so when high school movies started to arrive on the scene, you know Ferris was the the king of it because even with this beautiful school system that they had, where they seem to have an endless amount of free time and activities afterwards, he he evades the law. But all of that said, you know, my view of this movie has changed over time and I'm sure we'll get to that.
1: Certainly will. Uh, like, this is something as well that I guess we probably need to pay a bit of uh, attention to is the importance of this at, at that very moment, as, as Jared has kind of touched on there, Sue, the, the, this idea of this being a massive box office hit at the time, sometimes I think gets a little bit undervalued because I'm coming to it from a place where I'm like, well, this is a cool hipster movie, which is completely wrong. When I'm watching it the first time, it's like, this is a box office smash (laughs) hit in the middle of the 1980s.
2: Yeah. Like when you think about the impact that first theater had, like what I think is amazing about it is even though like, obviously it was a massive box office hit in the 80s and all of that kind of stuff, people still go back to it because of what it rep- represents for them at, diff- at, at different times in their life. So it's, I love that, that Matthew Broderick talks about that actually, about the not being able to return for first theaters Day off too. He didn't want to do one in college. He had no interest. He said this was a particular moment in time. And I think that's, that really speaks to longevity because sometimes I watch The, the Breakfast Club, like some of the themes of it are, are you know, you can still kind of, imagine, but the idea of trying to mitch off school, and this being the end of your high school and you're just about to go on to college. I think that that's an unbelievable achievement of that film, that it just manages to, like, even if you are getting too late, like you and your hipster film thing, like you're still going to watch it and go, and I still remember that moment in time where I was trying to make off school and like that was the last time I saw my friends and I thought everything was going to last forever, but it's not. And I just think that's what's brilliant about it. It just, mm. it really has stood the test of time, you know?
1: Yeah. Can we talk about this Matthew Broderick performance then? And uh, I guess where this is in his own arc as an actor. Um, like you talk about the possibility of a sequel there, Sue, which I don't know too much about. Like, so, so what, what is the story here? And I guess obviously we have to, to take into account here Matthew Broderick's own personal life shortly after this, the, the car crash in Ireland with Jennifer Grey and how much that puts the brakes in his career. Like, again, coming kind of coming back to your first watch, I'm like, this guy is at the very top of the world. This is a man and he's 25 uh, when this comes out. He is ready to conquer the world. And unfortunately, things happen where that doesn't happen for him personally. And I guess as well with that sequel, would that possibly have been the avenue for him to go to the whole next level with this? So, so, so what is the story here with, with the behind the scenes, Sue? <laughs>
2: Um, like actually do you know what I, I was talking to you about this during the week and I said like, I never felt like Magic Broderick's career kicked off and then I went in and looked through his IMDb listing and I was like he still managed to be a leading man for nearly every single film he was in like <laughs> just like the Lion King stuff like that but he was in Glory a couple of years I think it was about two or three years after he was in this and is very like he's perfect for that character but what I think is his problem is well two problems I think he's got that real baby face that he never managed to grow out of. Like, even when I see Matthew Broderick now, I'm like, that's just Ferris Bueller with his hair dyed grey. Like, I never <laughs> feel like he's just got old. And the other thing is, he just he just never really got away from that character. Like, if you have something like that that's absolutely, like, this is the top, of, I think it's the top of this career. I don't think he did anything better than this. You're never gonna be able to get away from it. You're always gonna be you're gonna have people shouting for his Peter quotes in the street to you like he's just so even though in some ways he's fine he's he's had a career and he's worked and he kept working as a, a as an actor. I felt like every single film I was reading I was like, "Yeah, but that wasn't a brilliant film. I mean mm. it was okay but but he's still the lead man in it but just I just feel like in some ways it might have been the greatest thing that ever happened to him, and then in some ways. It kind of just kept him back, you know. Mm. You you
1: could like dive unbelievably deep into that, Charlotte, and say it's a metaphor for Ferris Bueller himself. Like we don't know what happens after this day off, but is this the peak of Ferris Bueller himself this very day? This is good. Now we're really hitting the good stuff now, Owen.
0: What (laughs) happened to Ferris Bueller after this Such an open-ended question. (laughs) Where did he go? And did Ed Rooney eventually get him <laughs> or did Ed Rooney, was Ed Rooney a shell of a man after this experience? He was like, it's pointless. I'm not wasting my time on this anymore. Uh, I, I have a vision of Ferris becoming a kind of a trader, uh, uh, a shyster on Wall Street. I had exactly the same
2: thought.
0: schemes (laughs) and not really having it dawn on him until his 40s that you are fucking people over (laughs) by behaving like this. And there's a trail of destruction in your wake. And as much as you wink and smile and flirt with the waitress uh, and that makes you good and feel good in your own ego, uh, your friend's fucking die is going to kill him over that car <laughs> and all of these people who have lost money uh, because of you uh, now have to pick up the pieces, but he's a hedonist, right? And <laughs> a best case scenario, he, he, he settles down and uh, kind of uses his power for good because he's a very powerful person, right? He's got skills, but like, I can't see that happen. I think that, he's going to climb and climb and climb and then ultimately go to prison for tax evasion.
1: Would you go to prison? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I I, I totally
2: agree. I totally agree. We were talking about this yesterday because I was like, he's the guy who turns up at the school reunion with a flash car and a really, really beautiful wife and you're like, oh God, this guy did really well, but he's really just conning everyone out of everything and he hates his life. (laughs) The
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Underneath it all, it's rotten. Um, it, Matthew Broderick's career, though, like, let's like when you go scrolling through the multiple projects, hundred million dollar movies that he was involved in. Like, I know this is away from the movie we came to discuss. This man had has an incredible. Body of work And for me Sue There's a couple of real standouts Just aside from Bueller Like his performance in Election Is Of Election Show stopping Like That to me Is his best work If people haven't watched Election It is Again it's another high school movie But it's got this lovely Grimy edge to it It's so good And he is so brilliant At uh kind of playing the opposite of Ferris Bueller. It really is the, the antithesis of the guy that we look at in this movie. And I'm, I'm, I imagine that's part of the reason why he took the part, is to distance himself and show the range that he has. The producers, his performance in that, unbelievable, this guy has skills. And, you know, you might be right, Owen, it is, a, it is a, what, what might have been for him. But at the same time, I'm just scrolling through all the movies here. Go on. Like if that's all, I just hated, the
2: producers, so like, I hated the, producers hate the producers so much. Like I hated the producers so. Like it's not allowed. I it's legal. Oh, it was like the one that really stands out for me is like. Uh, Inspector Gadish when he was like clearly like how far away can I get from Paris theater and from any kind of a good role actually to be honest. Like it was just yeah. so incredibly bad. I will give you election, like he is so so good in election, but like some of the stuff he was in, you're just like, What are you doing? Like Godzilla, the 98 mm. Godzilla was so bad. Like,
0: like here's something that needs to be brought up uh soon on that movies there were so few movies at the time this came out. Like this was a big movie of that year for Paramount is like this is huge and uh the just the novelty of movies the hundreds of movies that come out now every single year uh means that the the sheen is gone off you know just the the idea of somebody being in a movie is no longer such a huge deal getting a movie made is something that you know people can do with enough energy and a shoestring budget this was like a massive massive deal like i can't stress this enough that people may not even be aware of this but like in my local cinema at the time at uh, the oscar cinema in newbridge uh you know the movies wouldn't change that much it was like et yeah. e. is on <laughs> all the time you can see et if you want to and then something big, like Tootsie's arrived. And then suddenly your parents, or it's the parents' turn to go to the cinema and then they'll have a matinee of fucking Bambi on a Saturday. There was just way less movies at the time. Mm. Uh, and when you think about that, the just the cachet and the amount of respect that was given to comedy during this window of time in the 80s of John Candy and Steve Martin, uh, Eddie Murphy... That, like, it's never ever gotten back to this level of stature where comedy
1: can be a pillar of a uh, uh, production company's year. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really valid point. Like, I mean, the an IMDb list is something that we take for granted now where it's like, oh, look at all this. And it's like, give me the quantity, give me the quality over the quantity. Whereas back then to actually have the quantity, you had to have a hell of a lot of quality to get all those, all those gigs. Um, And Jarrett, like this, this conversation is all about how things have changed with you over time. Uh, Like I'd like to get your take on your favorite moments of Ferris Bueller's Day Off and how maybe that has changed after every single time you've watched this down through the years, however many years you've been watching this movie.
0: Oh man! I, like uh, first of all, I love being asked these questions. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, this like I rewatch this movie. I I'm not. I'm not the Jess Kelly rewatch. I'll, <laughs> I'll play it in the background like an album. I like no. two hundred
2: times. <laughs> no,
0: no. And I, I, I actually, I know what Jess Kelly's saying there, and I do have movies that I do that with. But this is one that has to be an event. Like I will sit uh, three times a year and watch Ferris Bueller because each time you find something new in it, there's new goodness to a texture and depth in it. <laughs> people are like, yeah. if people have tuned into this, they must know what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> you know, the, like yeah. you, you see the different levels of appreciation for Ferris on every level of the Chicago society that they're living in, that even the police are pulling for Ferris to get through this illness that he's having on this day. Uh, Rewatchable scenes are like so thick and fast, but the one that really sticks out and the one where like the blue sky for you, Owen, the one where I was like, I am in this now. I am 110%. You couldn't wrestle me away from this movie is the initial attempt to get Sloane Peterson out of school, the phone call uh, to Ed Rooney's office uh, from Cameron, <laughs> pretending to be her father. And just the, the performance, first of all, by uh, Ed, Ed Rooney himself, played by, let me get the name, who's that played Jeffrey by? Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Uh, and uh, Edie McClurg as Rooney's <laughs> secretary. Between the two of them, that farce, that moment where he's giving Sloan Peterson's dad, a.k.a. Cameron, shit on the phone about why don't you come down here? I mean, just the flip. Ferris Bueller's on the other line. Like, to me, that's just movie gold and comedy gold. The, the switch of the phones, her attempt to impersonate Rooney on the phone. Like it actually doesn't. She improvises
2: that. Yes, Matt, like that, which is unbelievable. Like, because it's, it's, it's such a funny thing to leave in. It's brilliant.
0: Absolutely, she she is a scene stealer in this movie. No question about it. <laughs> she uh, she really is one of my favorite characters. And over over time, I think I was, as I said, I was seven, and delighted to see the the grown ups buffooning around and. <laughs> The teachers not getting the best of uh, this cool guy, but like I've had since becoming a father, it does change. <laughs> you're like, you're much more like. Well, I, I I've thought about this. But like, did Ed Rooney want the best for Ferris? Like, did he <laughs> actually want to get this fella who has all this talent and skill and charm and charisma to focus and apply himself? Uh, And in that way, I'm like, why can't, like, I'm feeling more for the principal as a a child in my life. Then watching it most recently, I was like, no, 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 no. Ed Rooney's jealous of Ferris. (laughs) He sees himself as a bit of a cool guy. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) The Dirty Harry moment where he's like, (laughs) yeah, I am cool. I'm cool like Ferris. And he just wants to get him. Like that's, this is nothing to do with. And then I'll educate him. It's just like, I'm going to get this kid. (laughs) And again, that makes it funnier. Every time this man gets his Tom and Jerry, you know, foot stuck in a piece of mud, it just becomes funnier. And I guess there is then as years go by the connection of the dots in your brain. To Home Alone and the home invasion element of that. And you can kind of see the wheels turning that this is something I'm good at shooting. I can make these kind of scenes of head in a dog flap uh, work as a bit <laughs> and somebody taking pratfalls and shoot that really well. Like that is a talent. Like that is that, that, the ability, we've all seen that done badly. But the way this movie captures the slapstick of Ed Rooney, to me, that's that's the most rewatchable scene. But I could go on all day about scenes that I love rewatching that.
1: Yeah, like w- one that I actually used to watch quite a bit on YouTube, actually, was uh, the museum scene. I just love that moment so much. I love that how in a 90-minute movie, John Hughes has time to take a breather. How it's something you might see in a modern-era HBO show, where they can be completely luxurious with their time. I just love how he's like, no, we're not going to have any dialogue for... Whatever it is, ninety That's seconds. That's the most
0: here. bizarre selection of rewatchable movie or scene in Ferris Bueller. That I've, <laughs> I would, ne- if you would give me six goes on, <laughs> there's no way I'd pick the yeah. bit where they looked at the modern art. Are yeah. you serious?
1: Yeah, I love that bit so much. I well, like it's. Why? I I love I love the fact that they use the Smiths intro- instrumental in the background. I love the moment when we start to consider what is Cameron looking to get out of this day, which. On this rewatch, started to I started to question myself, what is Ferris looking to get out of this day? So this is a, a, a circumstance that Ferris Bueller has planned. He has created this moment for Cameron, the moment where he is on his own in the art gallery, staring at the girl in the painting, and the girl is staring back at him. What does Ferris Bueller want to get out of this day is the question I had. When I had that just moment of tranquility, I'm like... This doesn't happen unless Ferris Bueller creates a scenario for this. Ferris Bueller, as Mia Sara's character says, as Sloan says in, in the, the thing later on, that you had this entire thing planned out, didn't you, Ferris? He had this entire thing planned out. So what was he trying to get from this moment? What was he trying to give to Cameron? And I think it is so up in the air. It is so gray, that moment in the, the art museum, that I just love it so much. You can interpret that in an infinite amount of ways. Mm.
2: I, 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 like, I think the thing about what he's trying to get out of his day Because I've been over and back about this Originally I thought it was uh, last hurrah to high school And it was like this is the last time I'm going to be with these people I really want to make this day count Because he kind of says as much at the start of the film But then I was talking to my husband about it last night and He was like but he's clearly just trying to be a grown up And he's trying to actually be what he thinks a grown up is and, and then I thought about the restaurant scene And I was like it's so interesting that he runs into his dad In the restaurant because obviously, his whole idea about being a grown up is from watching his dad. Oh, my dad, this is kind of the restaurant. My dad goes. I just thought it was, I was like, oh, I never saw that before. Like, what teenager takes a day off school? Like, I was saying to Ogre the week we used to go to an arcade that was the way we'd all try and like, buy cigarettes and drink and all that kind of stuff. Like, this guy's going to, like, art museums really fancy restaurants like robin a ferrari like singing <laughs> twisted shout in the street i'm like this guy is really ambitious you know yeah. But, yeah definitely like it's kind of it kind of made me look at it differently i thought about the whole film differently when i thought of that i was like god he is he's just trying to direct cameron in some way like he feels responsible for him
0: hmm. almost
2: as a grown-up and then you know, what does the, he think his life is
0: like because i think that there is that you could make that argument but equally The life moves pretty fast quote that everybody knows. I could just be the center of this. That thing that I described about Irish school and how, like, I don't know if you felt this about Irish school, but like, I sometimes felt like, what's the fucking point here? Like, why? You're just going to give me more homework (laughs) when, (laughs) when I do this. Like, What's the point? I really felt that a lot, that it was just so uh, like a hamster wheel that I feel like the day off is the justification for this, that it's just like we need a break <laughs> <laughs> from all of this and let's make it spectacular. Why not go big? I think that that's the that's the motivation here. And I Look, I I I do feel sorry for Cameron in it all because, you know, while he might dress it up that he's doing this for Cameron, he is using Cameron as well. Like completely just like, get over here, pick me up in the car because he hasn't fucking learned to drive yet. Like, yeah, I know that that's obviously a device for the purposes of the narrative arc, but you know, he he doesn't take the flack for wrecking the Ferrari at the end. He lets his friend do it in the name of, I'm going to stand up to my dad for the first night. No, sorry. No, I'll be over later on. I'll take the flack for it. No, I'm going to skate onwards and get away with all of this shit. <laughs> uh, you know, I have probably got off on one there, but there is, there is that part of me that just thinks,
2: no, and I, I made that note actually when I was watching the film. I was like, the teacher is awful and no one gives credit for how shit teachers can be. <laughs> like that <laughs> economics class is just so fucking bad. <laughs> You're like, it's no wonder these guys are trying to skip school. They're like asleep in their tents.
1: Yeah, like it, it is a, It is a movie of disaffected of youth. And when you have that great moment between um, between Sloan and Cameron while Ferris is up on the float where it's like, what are you interested in? And they're both like, nothing they're not really interested in anything and i think you're probably right charlotte this is just a day off for the crack because they don't have very much of it as it's glamorous as living in chicago even in a high school yeah. looks from our standpoint it probably yeah. just isn't from theirs and, and that's it like I, I like to think that there is some, some sort of deeper plan that ferris had and like i've got a theory in my head that maybe he planned to actually get married on the day i know he brings it up a couple of times but it was just so planned and i think just on that moment at the museum, it's kind of like the moment where it starts to tip, where that balance of Ferris Bueller being master manipulator to actually he's given his friend a pretty good day, I think that's where the balance starts to tip. And that's why I, I really love that moment. Um, Charlotte, something you touched on a few moments ago was the fact that your life has changed considerably from the seven-year-old Charlotte Regan uh, who watched it to uh, the Charlotte Regan today. So many significant moments in your life, not least you're a father. How, how does this yes. change watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off for you?
0: Well, definitely, you empathize more with the parents. But uh just watching it with your son for the first time was something that, like, I had delayed and delayed this moment. Uh This and Terminator Two were the two <laughs> movies that I was like to pick the moment because this is going to change some shit once he sees this. Like with Terminator Two, so he he saw that in the same month as he saw this, and since then he started making machine gun noises <laughs> and talking about <laughs> mini guns. The end of the world and, and computers uh, being uh, self-aware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Peeling the skin off your arm. <laughs> That's had a different impact on him. Right. But like, he still had to see it because like the point was the Terminator two is still like the best action movie ever made, even in the context of end game, these Marvel billion dollar movies, it's still the best. Uh, and the same is true of First. It is the, the Terminator 2 of teen movies. And to me, the character of Ferris was the standard bearer for cheeky, chappy, charming man, even though now as a parent, I think of him much more as a bollocks.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm really questioning why you showed this to your kid.
0: (laughs) But honestly, still on... When you're sitting there with your son, you're not watching the movie. You're literally just sitting there watching (laughs) his face watch it. It is like I would pay to see this again. I wish I'd filmed it. The joy on his face as things unfold, as the, as the uh, the reunion scene that I mentioned earlier plays out, like his head is in his hands at times, like he is buried underneath himself and then jumping around the sitting room as Ferris completes the chase home. Like this movie, lest we forget, it ends with an incredible chase scene. But it's so yeah. full of punchlines. He is wheeling him forward like he's cheering on a horse at Cheltenham <laughs> and then to be toast at the door when his nemesis is there to take him down. Watching it with your son, I just watched. I had the whole thing again. You get to live it all again and see the flip of uh, the script at that moment that. You do what you would hope your brothers and sisters would do for you, that at the end of the day, that bond is more important, that family matters. Uh, like, it was precious to see it. But equally, my concern was, and Tina, my wife's concern was, it, are we going to have Uh, a mini Ferris (laughs) around the house from now on. And you're like,
2: yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: I definitely wouldn't look forward to that. But, you know, I do like from living in England, like, people are always like, and is your son going to have an English accent? Which is kind of a xenophobic thing to say. Mm. Like, and I get, like, I know Sharon Horgan asked me that. And then she's like, <laughs> you've got to get ready for everybody asking you that. And then we all are kind of agreeing that, you know, that's not really the question. The question is Irish kids have much more crack within them, they've way more charm. Within them, and I, I don't mean that in that there is no charming English kids, but there is a wit about an Irish child that brings them much closer to Ferris. Anyway, they believe in arm chancing, and they also believe in a joke placed at the right time. Now, it might not be all kids; I'm sure there's little bollocks Irish kids as well. But <laughs> uh, trying to raise your son to be that <laughs> is a challenge, right? And introducing him to Ferris on one level, is a step towards, you can do this, you can be, you can use your wit to get you places in life. Whereas here, as we all know, In England, they will come up to you and say, oh, we're having the crack now, aren't we? (laughs) And you're just looking at them going, not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) you pointed it out, it's it's over. Um, So, yeah, like, I I know that it it has affected him in that way, but it was beautiful getting to to rewatch it through his
1: eyes. Was he the same age as you were when you first watched it? Was it roughly, around the same? Roughly, yeah. Roughly the same, same time. Right. That is, that's also kind of a high-pressure scenario because I've watched, rewatched movies with people for the first time and they've hated it. And I get personally offended by that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like, yes. your, your your kid did the right thing. He reacted the right way. Mm, yeah, no, and look, don't get me wrong. There have been movies
0: that we've shown to him that he's just found a major snooze. And that usually... Is because of the pace, the pacing of movies has changed. Like even you know your reference to the art art gallery scene, is a scene as you say that wouldn't happen and might happen in a Netflix series, uh, where they've got hours and hours and hours to play with. But the pacing of the John Hughes movies uh, has really stood the test of time, has it not? But the zip along of narrative and the you know the strands of the story that. That that kind of chug along at their own pace. They never failed me. Like Uncle Buck is one of his favorite movies, <laughs> and uh, the, the the Home Alone movies, obviously, as violent <laughs> as they are, <laughs> that's one thing that definitely stands out in terms of how this is how John Hughes movies have aged. Is just the violence <laughs> is gone from movies. And been replaced much more with a, uh, um, a kind of doink on the head rather than a uh,
1: flamethrower. Yeah,
2: <laughs> good old fashioned flamethrower. Yeah.
1: Like this, this is this is re- really interesting. I'd be interested to know as your boy gets older how he starts how his relationship starts to change with it. But one thing that was definitely evident from the first time I watched this movie was that you can be nostalgic for a period with which you've got no connection whatsoever. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt nostalgic for the 1980s, having never set foot in the 1980s after watching this. And I think there is a special power about John Hughes' films. As As problematic as they are at times, there is this unbelievable pull to the future from them where there hasn't been anything thereafter that has managed to come quite close to saying, this was the time. And if you didn't live through this time, you missed out. Sue is going to disagree on the clueless
0: note, right? Because well, yeah, that probably <laughs> came the cl- closest to that. Sue, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Like, but particularly like... the old the young dudes scene with the baggy jeans where they're literally breaking up the high school into its demographics. Yeah. That made me go oh my god 1994 was the best <laughs> why can't we just live there just, forever
2: like clueless is just so clueless mean girls and easy a are the three i think that they represent different kind of ears for me and but they did it so well and i think that's i just think as like because i was born in 83 but so um, when clueless hit it was around the time i was like you know trying to wear trying to its, a young woman exactly yeah. where i'm gonna wear that skirt and where do i get those braces I, I remember i made my mom walk like we lived in county clare there was no access to fashion and if it was it was for 20 <laughs> years previously like it didn't exist i remember making my mom walk the entire town one day looking for braces for what a dress. A i think she <laughs> I would have been
0: told to catch yourself on get in the car <laughs> Like she got me like suit.
2: like men's ones in the end because she was like, Susan, just get a pair of black one. I was like, it's not the same thing. Like, it just, <laughs> that, Amazing. that era, but I, I, told, I think those films all do the same thing, actually. I think you're right on because I think people mm. who go back and watch Clueless or go back and watch Mean Girls or The Breakfast Club, it definitely does give you it it speaks to your youth as a you know a teenager or somebody being in school or high school or whatever but it also makes you go i wish i did live in 94 and more really bad. so i think it does both really really well actually
0: <laughs> book smart is the most recent example of uh, of a movie yeah. that will do the same thing yeah. i think book smart is going to stand the test of time and certainly be a time capsule of this period uh but then uh, maybe 100%. i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong because no, i totally I, I agree go to school during this period but i i wanted to after watching yeah. that
1: movie <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no exactly. I, I think you're bang on that definitely has that, that that's level above and, and the only other one i would throw into that mix which i think is quite personal i don't think many people may agree with this but superbat kind of has a similar level of ferris bueller about it just, just i guess mm-hmm. the main plot line it's two guys who are in high school they're best friends and they're not going to be Going down the same path in life. How are they going to make the most of their last few months in high school? Now, it's saying something about super bad when Ferris Bueller is approaching this in a very emotionally intelligent way. Like, I mean, Jonah Hill and Matthew Sarah just make uh, jokes about their genitals for the entire thing. Whereas uh, Ferris Bueller brings his mates to an art gallery. So they're on varying different planes. But I do yeah. think there is this sort of end of youth feel about it, which uh, is subject matter that I think is really powerful for young people. And, and, and it is going to be interesting when, when your kid gets older, Jared, to actually be going through that in his own life and how that might actually uh, project mm. onto to his own life. Because it certainly had a, that impact on me.
0: I'd definitely love to see an Irish film attempt this like attempt to capture the leaving cert uh, kind of end of end of days feeling that there yeah. was.
1: Well, normal to, people, like, I guess is as close as we're going to get television wise to the Irish version of it. I
2: mean, well, I definitely yeah, feel like Terry exactly girls. It's not
1: hijinks, is it? Yeah. <laughs> like,
2: hold no. your respect,
0: Paul Meskel and Lenny <laughs> Abramson. <laughs> two, two people I would count as friends who, <laughs> I mean, it's not super bad. It's oh,
1: God, no.
2: I not bad. We can't God,
0: put it no. in that category. But, like, you, you guys all remember just how uh, the precipice of Irish end of school was. And I hope that someday in my life we get to a point where it isn't a case of, lads, will you just gorge on these facts and vomit them onto the page so that you can get on to college? Because it was so bad for you. Like it was just, that was part of the envy of this movie that I started with right from the top. Just how relaxed everybody seemed. <laughs> <laughs> everybody is just going to school and their after school is just as important. Their activities, even like, I know I, this sounds stupid, but just like the, the Letterman jackets, <laughs> the fact that y- you, uh, you were more than just these grades. My school obviously had, you know, a load of other interests and I was involved in everything, but like they were also seen as a bit of a waste of time, a bit of a distraction from what you should be focusing on. And anytime your grades were down, that's from playing too much, that's from playing too much football. (laughs) I mean, why can't we be all these things? Uh, And then, you know, I will still watch these movies and particularly Ferris Bueller's Day Off and kind of there is an element I don't know if you two would agree with this of what would my life be like had I grown up there like who would I be
1: and that's a melancholic thing to consider like I mean <laughs> I have no computer like I'm sure I'm sure Charlie, you're like brilliant my my life turned out really well but at the same <laughs> I time can things, th- things can be better than good as well like i mean what what a, or what would the sliding door moment be for a completely different educational experience in ireland for a lot of people i wonder um mm. whereas, like it's, it's it's a really interesting question um and it, it is kind of telling that we don't have that sort of cultural representation either which kind of speaks to the, the lack of there being a spark at that point in your life in ireland
0: yeah i guess dating amber is uh, the closest to an Irish high school movie that we have. And it's an extraordinary mm. film that people should seek out and find on Amazon Prime. Also, set in Newbridge as <laughs> <laughs> well. The Oscar cinema is in this, this film. And uh, it, it's uh, David Frayne uh, directed it a couple of years ago. But uh, it, it really does capture the sameness the sameness. I mean, the thing that you mentioned, Sue, about uh, Clueless and again with Ferris is just the variety, as much as it is through rose-tinted glasses and any of my American friends and guys I know that went on basketball scholarships to the States talked about how it is exactly as it is in those movies, but there's an edge. There's an edge to it, that the groups do not like each other, that there's there is territory and uh you know the Montagues and the Capulets are not going to get together by the end of the school year there will be a high school party and there's going to be a serious incident somewhere along the way so uh it's it's maybe maybe I was better off in Newbridge is my point Owen and Sue I don't know (laughs) I'm glad you got there I got there in the end
2: (laughs) like for me I was talking to Owen about it yesterday for for me it's Derby Girls does that a little bit for me and I know it's not a film, obviously, but it's just the like I think of Michelle in Derry Girls as very like Ferris, as that friend who was always bloody getting me in trouble. Like, I say, don't I had a friend who would like, I would get detention constantly because I was just standing beside her. Like you oh. weren't even doing nothing. You weren't even just doing by nothing.
0: association. And
2: you're just like, Susan Murphy and whoever it straight into the officer, I wasn't even doing nothing. <laughs> like, I was that person in school. And that's what I love about Ferris actually, and Michelle, is that kind of, you know, uh, like I really want to be friends with this person. And so did half the school, apparently. Cause but they are gonna get me in serious shit. Like, I'm constantly mm. gonna be in trouble because this guy and that's what I love about Cameron is like he really wants the excitement of it, but he's just like this boring guy. He's like, I can't do this. I'm afraid to do it because I'm afraid of my dad. You know, I just yeah. love that. I love that kind of battle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and like, I, I think that that's really interesting how uh, Ferris and Cameron are in the same social circle, because the traditional depiction maybe of the popular guy in high school would have been in some sort of jock. Which Ferris Bueller is is not, uh, and, and but he is still the popular kid in school. He's almost like this Robin Hood figure to some of the the freshmen in the in the school. But it still doesn't really make sense that someone like Cameron and someone like Ferris Bueller are, are two peas in a pod or are, are two friends here. That 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 bit never quite hit home with me. Yeah, especially
0: as as I described the. Uh you know, the, the splintering of the groups in these in these high schools. I mean, yeah. Ferris is clearly a cool kid. What's he doing hanging out with this guy? So that what that does, like, I think it hints to, and that probably what John Hughes would say is, They've known each other since they were babies. And I think that gets referenced in, in the movie. Uh, I, well, I know an obscene amount of stupid, useless facts about this movie, including <laughs> that uh, Matthew and Alan Rook were friends prior to shooting. Right. That, that's obvious. Like, the chemistry can't be faked there. Like when he's kicking him in the arse and looking him in the eyes and going, come on, do this. The way in which that those scenes play out and the chemistry and the spark between them, it's real. It's real. They're friends. They, they talk to each other like this. Amazingly, Emilio Estevez turned down the role of Cameron. I don't know if people realize it like, Emilio <laughs> Estevez, like what movie is this with Emilio like, as <laughs> Cameron? Like, I mean, it's worth if somebody could do a deep fake of that, it would be unbelievable. <laughs> Molly Ringwald obviously wanted the part of Sloane, didn't get it. Thanks be to the Lord God. (laughs) Maya Sarah was, when I was that little impressionable seven-year-old Jarlath, definitely the prettiest person I had ever seen in my life. And I was 100% in love with her in that moment. I didn't know until yesterday that uh, Ferris (laughs) got engaged to Jennifer Grey shortly before the release of the movie. It obviously... Never happened, but did you guys know that Paul McCartney expressed a dislike for the version of Twist and Shout that they did because it was it was too much brass
1: in no way. <laughs> no
0: how they got? <laughs> that doesn't they drew surprise him me. On this <laughs> but the Charlie Sheen thing is something we haven't mentioned. The Charlie yeah. Sheen appears oh, in this movie, great cameo, the amazing cameo, and apparently stayed awake for two days to achieve the look. I was always like, God, he looks pale. As they really powdered him down apparently stayed up for the the two days. Now, I don't know if Charlie Sheen was there for the original screening of the original cut of the movie, but the word is that when they went in to see that cut, the cast included, they were like, we just made a turkey. This thing is not funny and is not going to work. Right. Only in the re-edit that this movie emerged, the one that everyone agreed was a home run that was going to clear the fence and the parking lot. And what, wow. do you know what changed? Um, no clue. That's all I know. But I, knew, I do know that uh, there's some great websites to be found with, uh, that established that the 5th of June, 1985, is the actual day off. And they work out, would it be possible for Veris to cram all this stuff into that day? Uh, you can check that out for yourself. I'm not going to ruin it. But it's next to impossible. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew this, but I did watch the TV series, Ferris Bueller that this movie spawned in 1990 with a lot of hope in my heart <laughs> so, uh, uh, Charlie Schlatter played Ferris and did not deliver the goods the show was horrendous and the only I guess notable thing about it is that Jennifer Aniston played Jeannie Bueller in the in the series and That's a lot right. of people know that
1: uh, <laughs>
2: Only uh, you, Jared we uh, uh,
0: let's uh, Can I? Can I do a game to see if uh, you? Uh, I'll name an actor, and you can tell me if you think he was considered for the role of Ferris. Let's do it. Okay, <laughs> okay. let's go. Uh, Jim Carrey. No.
2: Yes. 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 He was. <laughs> yes.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Tom Cruise. Yes. Yes. yes hundred <laughs> percent. Tom would have been of in the. Course. Yeah. I mean, absolutely risky business. Print some money. <laughs> Michael J. Fox.
1: Oh, yeah. I want to say yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I want to say what no. What do you think, Sue? Sue's going no. no. <laughs> yes, is the yeah. answer. Michael J. Fox was, again, another reason to print money at the time. If you think about the hits that he'd had by yeah, that Yeah, yeah, Back to the Future, yeah. Absolutely. Family Ties. I mean, John Cusack. Now, there's one. Neither. This one's a hard one. Surely not. Surely not, Owen said. Surely so, uh, no, John I can only Cusack. see him in high
2: fidelity. Isn't that terrible? John Cusack <laughs> is high fidelity for me, and that is it. <laughs> but he'd
0: also been, uh, say anything, was yeah. like huge. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Tina, I can just see the stereo. Like <laughs> yeah, well, he was considered for the part. Rob <laughs> Blow. Dreadful. Rob
2: Lowe, Rob Blow. <laughs>
0: <Johnny Depp laughs> and Robert Downey Jr. were the other people that were considered. So they really had a. Murderer's Row. Like I gave like, Depp. Everyone I've named was considered. That's yeah. the crazy thing. So basically, this was a part everyone wanted.
2: Yeah. And like, absolutely. Like, just talking about that Charlie Sheen thing for two seconds, and it's it only related to it. I just love Jennifer Gray in that scene when she goes over to the stairs and she just lets out that Jennifer Gray has the best laugh the best laugh and when she's just like just kissed him and she's getting pulled out by her mom and she's there the she just giggles and you're just like oh that is perfection you just see another yeah, side to genie you know perfect
0: but sue <laughs> let me ask you this question because i i would imagine that there's a certain amount of women that would agree with this uh, take that oh so the the tight girl just needed a shift <laughs> is that all it was oh now she's loosened up what she needs is a good shift like was that? Think was so. that like it, no, I I, and I that <laughs> that was a very kind of uh, binary view of how to get yeah. a cranky girl to relax.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see where that comes from, but I don't think it's that. I think that he he made her see that you know she actually just let loose a little bit, like Ferris, that she wouldn't get caught up in all this stuff as much. Mm. And then she just let herself go a little bit. I don't think she like she is so she's nearly as bad as Rooney because she is so consumed with how much she fucking hates her brother.
0: She I does. absolutely love that that line where it's revealed that Charlie Sheen knows Ferris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that line kills me every time, you know, <laughs> It just floors me each time. Uh, yeah the, the chemistry between the two of them makes me wonder how a movie with them in it didn't come about like last night I watched Beverly Hills Cop I watch modern day movies too but <laughs> I watched Beverly Hills Cop last night and you remember the scene in the uh, art gallery you might know it Owen as a fan of art gallery and <laughs> uh, movies <space. laughs> where he goes how much does this cost he goes $120,000 get the fuck out of here he's like no that guy got a career from that cameo like there's yeah. a full sitcom written <laughs> around that character I just find it hard to believe that they couldn't see the chemistry between Charlie Sheen and Jennifer Grey and go somebody write a thing
2: yeah you always yeah.
0: going to be in it
2: I always wanted to know what happened whether they ever were going to see him again and I just really hope that something did happen. But he <laughs> definitely seems like the bad boy that he, she's going to keep bringing home to piss off her parents. And she, like, eventually she'll just be like, I can't be with this guy. He's ridiculous. <laughs> 100%. I
1: think, I think it's really good have. There's so many different spin-offs here that could have worked from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There's w- one key question, though, to, to finish up. And I think we probably all know the answer to this, Jarlath. The on-the-TV f- the test, which is basically, if you stumble upon Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off Thirty minutes through, sixty minutes through on the television, are you sticking with it?
0: A funny answer to this one, and it relates back to my thing of not watching it in the background. If I stumble across it, I won't mm. rewatch it. Right I may stay for five minutes, but I way prefer to make an evening of it. and if people are going to rewatch it, I really recommend that that giving it that time. Uh, I would recommend watching it with. Uh, you know, nieces and nephews, if if that day ever arrives. I did do that myself with a niece and nephew who, like any brother and sister, have had times that they don't get on with. And there is that beautiful hope in this movie that brothers and sisters can get on at the end of the day, despite all their differences. Uh, so for me, I would avoid the TV test. I would definitely. The TV test for me is it may remind me that I need to devote an evening to this, but I just wouldn't. I wouldn't ever half watch this movie i think you gotta hunker down and settle in with it like a good book
1: interesting interesting I'm, I'm i'm all for dipping in and out of this although i do prefer the first half to the second half of the movie which uh, i'm not sure if you agree with that or not so it kind of needs to be early on for me but, I, but i'm staying with it uh, sue what's what's your take on that
2: yeah like for me it's the parade scene because i love the parade scene so much so it, like if i turn it on the tv and it's before the parade scene i'm like oh I mean, I'll wait until they do the, the greatest because I love that Twisted Shout thing. It's just so fun and brilliant and mm-hmm. he's great in it. And I love the conversation between Cameron and Sloan. But if it's after that, generally, I'd be like, oh, no, it's gone too far for me. <laughs> I don't know why the, <laughs> the parade scene is uh, yeah, the point.
0: Even, like you ask me, do scenes change over time for you? That would be one. And I think that anybody that's worked in any sort of production of any sort knows that's a miracle they pulled off that scene. Like, that is an astonishing movie scene on, on, in any movie. And it influenced so many movies that were to come. I mean, yeah. just an extraordinary number of extras navigating it and piecing it together and editing it and making it look like it's all part of the one thing, just, yeah. just off the charts. So, I yeah. totally agree.
2: My mind boggles when I think about trying to shoot that. Honestly, I just don't (laughs) even know where they started. (laughs)
1: Incredible. (laughs) I think this is a really important note to finish on. We're basically saying, screw Paul McCartney. Anything that he had to say afterwards, (laughs) we can absolutely discount that. It is a... People who
2: was involved with the song is wrong, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is is a phenomenal scene. It is brilliant. And um, one last thing, just to to give this the hangover rating, which we'll do... How likely are you to watch this if if you're hungover? For me, this is like a (laughs) 9.4 Uh, on, the, on the hangover scale. Like, is, is anybody willing to take me up on that and go higher?
0: Oh, I go 10. I don't ten. really drink anymore. I don't really get hangovers anymore. But, I mean, in terms of the autopilot nature of just watching this with eyes half open <laughs> you find a better movie, you just won't. <laughs> uh,
1: actually, this is, this is actually one thing I did want to get your take on just before we go. The, the chase scene, Jarlith, uh, as not, mm. not only just the host of An Irishman Abroad, an Irishman running abroad. Have I said it? Uh, that, that is the official brand, right? Yeah, the What, what running is running abroad
0: with Sonia O'Sullivan. Correct.
1: Yeah. What, what, what is uh, your analysis based on osmosis from spending time with Sonia of that final chase?
0: Well, play, as play. movie running <laughs> scenes go, I, like Tom Cruise famously runs in every movie.
2: <laughs> of course he does.
0: Right? <laughs> uh, as movie running scenes go, it, it is very... Uh, Of the time, if you think about Michael J. Fox running in movies, it was always kind of arms flailing out of control, skidding around corners like a cartoon character. Uh, I would think that it's definitely top five running movie scenes with terminator 2 being number one by existence like come on nobody's done running in a movie better than terminator 2
2: you're we're gonna have to do terminator 2 because i like i don't think i've spoken about my obsession with terminator 2 my parents taped it off the tv for me and my dad used to do this thing where he would leave the video out if i was allowed to watch it or he'd hide it if i wasn't and terminator 2 was left out and I was allowed to, watch, and I became obsessed with it. But I don't know, I presume everyone's seen it. But I didn't know that Arnie had jumped in at the end and was the home thing because the video cut off.
0: Oh, so I was at,
2: I was at a party years later, and Terminator 2 was on the background. And I was like, hang on a second. I felt like I was actually like Phoebe in that episode of Friends. It's like, Wait, what? He jumps in? No idea. <laughs> like, absolutely no idea. And I'd say I could quote the whole son sort of him start to finish and never knew he died. Perhaps
1: so we do we, <laughs> we need to we need to cancel that in for for another week so yes. uh, <laughs> Ferris Bueller just below terminator 2 when it comes to great running scenes so appreciate that analysis Charles. it's a uh, good insight yeah, i don't know if we'll call about the running form uh all right you'd have to get sonia on to talk about that <laughs> uh listen this has been let's go back to ferris Peter's day off sue murphy thank you very much as ever for being with us and also host of an Irishman abroad and Brand new stand-up special which you get on the RTE player right now. It's called Notions Eleven, and his name is of course Charles Regan. Thank you so much Thank for you bringing it very much. Table. Thanks, really Jared. great.
0: Thanks
1: so much, guys. <laughs>
2: Subscribe to this podcast for free on
0: the Go Live app.